The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So, if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com dark. That's mintmobile.com dark. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com dark. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre. And I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 14, Episode 14. 
I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of authors N.M. Brown, Kyle Harrison, Ron Reiki, and Dale Thompson. Tonight, we'll hear stories of audio angst, mortified morticians, stabberific sleepers, and paranormal psychiatrics. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Physician, heal thyself. That's the usual phrase, but tonight, we're going to hear of things that our good friends in the medical field can do nothing to prevent, no matter how hard they try. First up is a delightful little gem from N.M. Brown about a young man who has a serious problem where everything is just a little too loud. He has people eager to help him, but could the cure be worse than the disease? Without further ado, I present to you... Hush. My ears were burning. The sounds were like an emery board filing away at my brain. I squeezed my pillow and gritted my teeth, mentally preparing for the world my mind was forced to awaken to. I rolled over and opened my eyes. My wife, Meg, was perched next to me, eating a bowl of cereal. To my horror, I noticed it was full to the brim with fruity pebbles, the loudest, most obnoxious of all the cereals. Eventually, she saw me staring at her bowl. What? I'm sorry. I know you hate this. I have to scrape the prebbles down the bowl into the milk or they get dried to the sides. It's hell to wash off once they dry onto the sides. She explained to me, her eyebrow raised. My hand touched her shoulder and lightly trailed down her arm. Yes, baby, but do you have to do it between every bite? I tried to speak as gently as possible. There's no use, though. I'd forgotten to unclench my teeth. Surprisingly, instead of giving me an attitude, she just smiled at me. Okay, grumpy thumpy. I was going to wait until tonight to give this to you, but I think you need it now. Happy birthday, Robert. She presented me with a small gift box. The presentation was perfect. Gold metallic swirled wrapping with an emerald green bow. I eyed it curiously. I did my best to unwrap it carefully, making as little noise as possible. After seeing me delicately unfold the flaps of the wrapping, my wife's inner child got the best of her. Here, she said, taking the box from my hands and ripping the paper open. Then she crinkled it into a ball in her hands. I try to hide my cringe as I turn away to pretend to look at something in the other room. Open the box, she pleaded, her eyes dancing with excitement. Inside the box were two little light green foam-like nubs. The paper inside said, Noise Softening Earplugs. Thank you, Meg. 
This was so thoughtful. I really hope that they work. Her face falls in disappointment. What did she want me to do? Sing and dance and thanks? Still, even though it's my birthday, hate to see her look sad. I'm sorry, she murmurs. I'm always the worst at getting you gifts. I really do try so hard. Look, honey, I'm sorry. It's not you, personally. I don't understand what it is, really. It started when I was a kid and got worse as I got older. Most background noises are fine, but some just kill me, I interrupted. I'm sorry you have to go through this with me, but I'm, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm already so thankful for the gift. I can't wait to try them out. I gave her a tight smile. Speaking of, do you promise not to think I'm rude when I put them in? I don't want you to think I'm trying to tune you out, I asked her. She shook her head and hugged me tight. Maybe these could actually make a difference, I thought wistfully. I put them in at work, and I have to confess, it felt absolutely amazing. I was able to focus so much more on the job without audio-induced anxiety attacks. For once, I didn't think I was going to leave with stress sweats, flirting majorly with a panic and anxiety attack. They're different, you know. Anyway, I could still hear, but so much of the people's noises were severely muted. I was actually able to hold a conversation with my co-worker Jimmy as he sipped his morning coffee and not wince at the sound. I didn't have to go to the parking lot at lunchtime and eat in my car. People told jokes and I laughed at them, showing a side of me that people rarely get to see. I received birthday drink offers, politely declined them, and went on my way. On my way home, my head suddenly started to pound. It was a harsh, sharp pain that started at my temples and then radiated to both of my ears. It started getting so bad that I thought about pulling over for a minute. I tried to shake it off, rub at my ears, and endure the rest of the three-mile drive I had left before home. Meg booked us dinner at one of the nicest restaurants in town. Je voudrais... Thankfully, she'd been more excited about it than I have, and I wanted her to have a good night despite my now semi-blinding headache. The television needs to be turned off before we leave. Walking across my bedroom, I step on the box my gift had come in. I picked it up. In the smallest of wordings, there's a disclaimer on the other side of the enclosed piece of paper. Not to be used for long periods or while sleeping the hell did she order these from? It had to be from one of those international shopping apps. I took the earplugs out and placed them in my underwear drawer, my head still being stabbed by invisible needles. The fact that my heart had now started pounding in my ears wasn't helping. With my best happy husband face on, I gathered myself, then left to meet Meg for dinner. My headache was ever so slightly fading. I was truly grateful for every notch moved down on the number pain scale. A seven felt almost heavenly when it had been at a nine for an hour, at least for a little while, until you yearned for the pain to fall to five. I was so close to being relieved enough to enjoy my experience when I noticed I'd reached the restaurant before Meg. I was led to a beautiful table with a disassembled nesting doll of silverware surrounding both plates. My eyes met the elderly woman's in the booth in front of me. I gave her a polite nod before I sat down. 
I ordered a glass of water to start off with while I waited for my wife. <coughs> the woman who I'd nodded to shared a booth back with me. Whoever she was dining with sounded like they had a cold. They were trying to breathe clearly, but failing miserably. My eye twitched and my headache instantly skyrocketed back to a nine again. <coughs> a vicious and viscous cacophony of bodily sounds followed that I frankly don't care to elaborate on. Then the figure turned toward me, revealing themselves as a fellow older woman. The skin on her cheeks shook slightly as she addressed me. Um, excuse me. I can't seem to get rid of the stuff. She cleared her throat once more before blowing her nose loudly into a napkin. Thankfully, that was when the waiter brought over my water. Uh, excuse me, sir, I whispered. I really hate to be a bother, but can you please put me somewhere else? I know you're very busy, I pleaded. He gave me a strange look, but ushered me to another booth far across the restaurant. I didn't mean to be rude, I commented as I sat. The woman next to me seemed to have quite a nasty cold, and I can't seem to find the time to get sick right now. I explained. As awful as this was, I hadn't been as happy to see my wife as I was when she walked through the doors just then. Meg walked up and greeted me with a kiss. Here's my birthday, babe. What's your earplugs? She looked concerned. I explained to her that they worked just fine, but I wanted to give her my full attention tonight. To this day, I don't know why I didn't just tell her the truth. If I had to guess, I think I just didn't want to hurt her feelings. She was always complaining how I had never liked or used the gifts she gave me. We held hands across the table, each chatting about the events of our day. She ordered some wine, but instructed to have it not to come to the table until the food was brought out. She wanted to make sure we didn't drink it all beforehand in case of a long wait. I was glad for her thoughtfulness. My head still felt like my temples were in a vice, and alcohol usually didn't help. The food, and eventually the wine, are brought out. It all looked and smelled amazing. I got a few bites in before the anxiety started its ascent to my breaking point. Meg, beautiful as she was, had to have been the worst person to fall in love with for some of my sensitivities. Her voice was soft, but every action she took seemed amplified. As light as she was, her walking cadence boomed with every step. Even now, with something as simple as a meal, her teeth clanked her glass every time she took a sip. Her dainty mouth smacked with delight with every other chew. The scraping of her silverware against the plate made me aware of the sound of everyone else's on theirs. Every single bite was met with a small moan of satisfaction before reclicking her fork against her teeth as it left her mouth. It almost felt like the earplugs had made my ears more sensitive to it all now that I wasn't wearing them. In my head, oh dear God, my head. Finally, I started out an apology, telling Meg I was not feeling well. I stood up abruptly and stumbled out of the restaurant. I knocked into our waiter on the way out and spun him in a confused circle. The dishes made a terrible sound as they swirled from their plate on the tray. She followed me outside. Of course she did. The only thing she hated more than being quiet, apparently, was giving me personal space, especially when I was upset. 
The sound of her heels clicking against the pavement made my heart hammer, and not in a romantic or even remotely positive way. Rob, what's wrong with you? I've tried to be as patient and understanding as I can be with you, but Jesus Christ, you have to meet me halfway. I held a hand up that wasn't currently jammed to my forehead to silence her to no avail. I'll tell you one thing. I cannot wait for you to start losing your hearing. You'll never need hearing aids either. I'll break every pair you get. No, she paused wickedly. Better yet, I wish you were deaf right now. That's what I wish. I wish that you'd go deaf. Maybe then I can live a life in peace. Seething with rage, I knew I had to get out of there before I did something I'd regret. Legally, at least. My urge to lash out violently rose right along with the now shrill whistle consuming the inside of my head. I get in my car and turn my radio up as loud as it goes. The blurring jumble has paced my ears compared to the past hour's events. I'd ride around like that for a long while, making sure to stay as far from the small, sleeping neighborhoods. The concept of time had totally slipped from me. It felt good in my head to feel the blowing night air as I drove through it. My temporary relief and my own vision and version of noise therapy emboldened me. Pulling into our yard, I was ready to apologize to my wife and try to save the night. Fresh tire tracks in the bud tell me that she was here recently, but then left again. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds are not looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Folks, I want you to stick to your plans and get ahead. That's why I'm inviting you to take advantage of this deal now. You get the good stuff, unlimited talk and text, and then data on the nation's largest 5G wireless service with no unexpected overages or hidden fees. And then, best of all, keep your phone, contacts, and your number. How can you possibly go wrong? Switch today and start enjoying the savings. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com dark. That's mintmobile.com slash dark. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash dark. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I walk into the house and it feels different. 
There's just a vibe to it that I can't quite place. There's a pink post-it on our closed bedroom door. Robert, I'm going to stay with my sister for a while. I love you, but you need help. This is all in your head. Normal people don't live this way. I've tried to support you best, but I must live, Robert. We can't even try to have children because you're scared of their sounds. People make noise. All living bodies make noise. I need you to put as much effort into this as I have. Until I see that, I won't be coming home. I love you, Meg. I ran the paper underwater, crumbled it up soundlessly, and threw it away. My mind was too overwhelmed with the fact that I got to have a silent night to worry about every or anything that she had said or implied. I was sure it would hit me tomorrow. But for tonight, I had peace. There's nothing any doctor could do for me. My parents had it checked out when I was a boy, and they couldn't find any solution. As awful as an idea it seemed earlier, I didn't see the harm now. The liquor cabinet was full, and my soul felt so empty. So I drank until I was ready for sleep. And I was just about there when I heard the most disgusting sound ever. A cat jumped up on our bed and began to clean herself thoroughly. In the quiet of our room, it sounded like a lion eating a freshly killed gazelle. Every swipe of her tongue wore away a layer of my sanity. I tried placing her off the bed several times to no avail. When I put her out of the room and closed the door, she scratched at it until I screamed with madness and let her back in. I couldn't take this anymore, and honestly was surprised I'd made it this far through life. It was time to face the music. As much as I wanted to focus on the positives, I missed my wife. I had to try to stop this so Meg would be with me again, so she would come home. She deserved a full life. At this point, I was willing to do anything. Meanwhile, the ticking of her grandmother's clock grew louder with every minute. My feet fumbled as I attempted to spring out of bed and descend the stairs. I wandered over to the kitchen counter and opened the junk drawer. There they were, a pile of assorted multicolored pens. My breath came out in huffs as I grabbed the pens and stared at them. I'd thought about this a lot before, but had never had the alone time to go through with it. I began to giggle as the first pen went in. I tested the boundaries of my ear canal, trying not to get discouraged by the task at hand. I made two practice motions, then bit down on a towel on the third attempt. I rammed the pen in my ears fast and hard as it would go in one shot. It's not as easy as it sounds. The pain that erupted through my head was indescribable. I feel a slight warm trickle down the side of my face. While still caught up in the adrenaline, I plunged the other pen in the other ear and shoved until everything turned white. My vision grew fuzzy around the edges and everything went black from the pain. I woke up in unfamiliar surroundings. My head exploded with pain. I was shocked to see that my wrists were cuffed to the rail beds. I was in a hospital. I knew that much. What I didn't know was why I was chained to this bed. Oh, Jesus Christ, my head. Maybe they could do something for the shattered glass that invaded my brain. I looked up and noticed the police officer standing to the left of me. It looked like he was trying to tell me something. I couldn't hear him, even though he was standing five feet away. 
I shook my head to try to tell him I couldn't understand. A man in a long doctor's coat came in to meet him with a clipboard as the officers started to leave. I saw them exchange words in the doorway but couldn't determine what they were saying. The officer handed him a file and shook his head at me before leaving. Now, I found myself even more confused than before. They gave me nothing for my headache and didn't stop to check on me much. Everyone whose eyes I met seemed to have a hateful look in their face. I banged on the side of my bed as much as I could to get the doctor's attention. I asked her as best as possible what was going on, why I was here. Where was here? Despite the communicational frustration, I was almost relieved at my newfound auditory failure. As far as the cop went, though, it wasn't against the law to deafen yourself, was it? White lights flashed along the hallway, causing the doctor to run out of the room. He drops the file, accidentally, its papers scattering across the floor. I peered over my bed to see if any of the papers fell close enough for me to read. I saw my name, Robert Hallner, on what looked to be a police report. Some photos had fallen to where I couldn't see the front, only the back. There was another paper with my name written on it, and below it, it said the words, Auditory Violence and Misophonia. In the corner closet to my bed, I could see one of the pictures face up. I moved my whole body to try to scoot closer to see more clearly. I wish I hadn't. What I saw was a picture of my wife's pale, clouded eyes looking from a mutilated face. Her tongue had been cut out. My groggy mind began to place the pieces together. There was only one explanation for how I was treated in the situation. They thought I did this. I couldn't have done this. I scanned my wrist restraints and noticed the faintest trace of blood flaking onto the fabric and under my fingernails. But I couldn't remember why. Which brings us to now. I've been in this institution for about three months now, deemed too mentally and physically disabled to be fit for prison. They say on that fateful night that Meg came home to check on me when I awoke after destroying my ears. I'm assuming she was feeling bad for what she had written. There was a small grouping of flowers with a note that said, for better or for worse, written on a scrap of paper that was found bloodied on the floor by her ankles. Believe it or not, that wasn't the worst part of all this. The worst part was the ringing. The constant haunting ringing has occurred in my ears and throughout my skull. It's agonizing. My constant screams do nothing to drown it out. I managed to use the computer in the hellhole they call a rec room to make a record of my official side of the story. They won't let me have pens, you see, so I was limited on options. Is there anyone that can help me? Anyone ever experienced this before? The ringing, not so much the other parts. Because I find myself getting desperate again. And I'll do just about anything to stop the pain. I hope you enjoyed Hush by N.M. Brown as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author... You can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash nm-brown. 
That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash nm-brown. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. I guess he'll think better next time that he tries to do a home remedy. What? I said, I'll guess he'll... Oh, you're just pulling my leg. Don't fool me like that. I may think I'm losing my voice, and you don't want to know what I'd do to fix that. Some in the field aren't there to help us stay alive, but instead to prepare us for the inevitable strikes. But in this next tale, courtesy of Kyle Harrison, maybe the trip to the beyond isn't quite as clear-cut as it seems, or quite as permanent as we wish. Without further ado, I present to you House Calls. Being a funeral director is definitely not one of them. It goes without saying, you have to be able to separate your emotions from the job for several reasons. Grieving families often lash out, and you can be the target of their attacks. I wish that was all that happened a few nights ago. It might surprise you to learn that the odd hours I have to work don't bother me much because most of the time it means I can do whatever I please. Unfortunately, this call came just as I was about to reach second base with my girlfriend Stacy. Can't you just ignore that damn thing for once? It wasn't the first time I'd had a call when I was busy trying to get laid, but I knew better than to let it go to voicemail. You know, this job depends on my reputation. I can't afford a sour client, especially not in a town small like this is. Stacy was already getting dressed, a look of frustration on her face. Hey, I'll be back in less than a couple hours. You don't have to leave, I told her. Uh, yes, I do. Just forget it, Marcus. She said with a huff as she pushed past me. I sighed, running my fingers through my hair and hoping that this call wouldn't be the one that ended our relationship. Then I checked the message to see who it was. Eldon, family estate, requesting immediate retrieval of recently deceased. I knew the name well. Thomas Eldon was probably one of the richest men in town. Their place sat near the edge of town, near a small lake, an enormous townhouse that towered over the water like a medieval castle. Maybe he was the one that kicked the family bucket finally. I thought to myself as I gathered my things and hopped in my car. It was only a short drive to the funeral home. I tried to call the number back on the way there, but it kept going straight to their voicemail, and the automated message said the mailbox was full. I was going to have to go in blind on this call. So I gathered as many supplies as I'd need and then loaded up the hearse. It started to snow, making the drive a bit cumbersome due to the weather, but the brightness of the flurries did make the road a little easier to see. I saw it well before I got there, just as dark and gloomy as I remember it, being the last time I'd come to these woods. Not that I ever stepped inside. Growing up, most kids knew better than to try and mingle with the ultra-rich family. The Eldons kept to themselves, sending their children to private schools and handling most of their business internally. Maybe that's why I had a bad feeling when I drove past the Iron Gate. 
It felt like I was trespassing or entering somewhere that I didn't belong. The cold settled down to my bones as I stepped out of my vehicle and stared at the silhouette of the mighty house. It was quiet, not another vehicle within sight. The place, honestly, looked deserted. As I got a little closer, I thought I smelled something. I'd been around death long enough to recognize the odor, but this was different. It reminded me of a rotting barrel of fish I'd come across once near the lake. Wet and soggy and filled with maggots and guts and feces. Whatever happened inside this house, it wasn't normal. I knocked on the wide frame door, trying to get a look through the smeared windows. Most of the furniture covered up with clothes. The rest was dusty. Did anyone even live here? Had someone called me out here just to play prank? Just as I was considering getting in my car and driving away, I heard a noise, and then the door creaked open. Only darkness invited me to step forward. Hello? My voice echoed in the empty foyer. It's Marcus Levise from the funeral home. I got your message about a half hour ago, I said, clutching my coat and looking around the dusty and dark house. My initial assumption about the place looking abandoned felt confirmed as I looked around. There weren't any lights in the house, and most of the furniture was covered with sheets and dust. It felt haunted. I saw a tiny ordained box next to a large frame that looked like it had once held a mirror and opened it to see a carved wooden mask inside and a note. Wear this. What's this for, I asked, looking down at the item. No one answered, and I realized perhaps I was being watched. I became immediately uncomfortable with the fact that it fits so comfortably. Next, a clicking noise came from the far end of the hall, and I saw another door creak open. Will I need the gurney? I called out, but again, no response. I stood in the doorway of the empty and forbidding house, flustered and confused, and honestly frightened. I'd heard rumors that this family was strange, but this was definitely on another level. I followed the carpet to the back of the hallway, where I saw more empty frames hanging on the wall. Each of them looked like they had once held family portraits and had been torn out. The wallpaper was peeling away and the floor felt cold. It was like entering a crypt. There were doors heading to rooms, but they were locked and looked like they hadn't been used for some time. Most of the place seemed unused. I thought I heard something behind me and jumped a little when a black cat rushed up my leg and into my arms. Its soft eyes looked at me curiously as I glanced toward the room it had emerged from. For some reason, I was sure that someone else was there in the shadows, silently watching us. The cat then jumped from my arms and walked to the ramp that entered the den, obviously expecting me to follow. Add another look toward the shadowy room, again feeling the presence of something else there, before doing just that. I heard the sound of oxygen and a heart monitor the moment I walked in, and I realized that the small den had been fashioned as a medical suite. As soon as I saw my host, I did my best to hold back a sharp gasp. Thomas Eldon looked like he had died 15 years ago. He was hunched over in a wheelchair, wearing an old gray suit that barely clung to his misshapen body. His arms and legs were bone-thin and covered with lesions, his face shrunken, 
and his skin pulled back almost to his skull. He was wearing an oxygen mask that covered up the wounds near his nose and mouth, most of which was covered in sores, and his right eye was missing, replaced by one made of glass that had dulled ages ago. I imagined what his days were probably like. Every breath he took was likely painful, every movement likely filled with soreness and swelling. His head turned in a mechanical way as his good eye focused on me. To my bewilderment and trepidation, the old man was smiling. It was the most dreadful smile I'd ever seen, and I thanked the stars. I had the mask on to hide my revulsion. Is that why I was asked to wear it, so I wouldn't show my fear? We stood there, staring at each other for what felt like an eternity. Then he spoke, his voice as coarse as a gravel road, scratchy and deep. At last. It's time. I'm ready. He wheezed and coughed. I tried to offer him water from a nearby pitcher, but my ancient host swatted my hand away. I decided to cut to the chase and get straight to business. The sooner I left this place, the better. I'm sorry for your loss, sir. I told him as I looked around the room. There were no windows here, no lights save for a few dimly lit candles and what was coming from the medical equipment. It felt more like a prison cell than a comfortable home. My remark made him tremble with a wheezy laugh. Where are you? I would think a patron of death would welcome such events. Thomas responded, clasped my hands together in front of me, hoping he'd see I meant no ill will. In times like this, I know it can be difficult. What I mean by what I said is I promise I'll do my best to handle this matter with the utmost decency and respect for your deceased loved one. Again, he laughed, and this time grabbed hold of his wheelchair like he was about to cough up a lung. Is that why you think you were summoned here? Because of love? He glared at me with his dull eyes shining against the candlelight. I hated them. All of them. They mean nothing to me. His words made me shudder because I knew he meant them. I cleared my throat and again tried to find something in the room to focus on besides his ghastly face. I saw what looked like an ornate box behind him, probably large enough for him to sleep in. It suddenly occurred to me that there wasn't a bed anywhere in sight, so it was entirely possible he actually used the casket for rest. I kept my eyes averted to the coffin, my heart pounding faster as I tried to speed up the conversation. You said you wished to speak with me before I obtained the body? Thomas responded by reaching into his pocket with one of his bony hands. He took out a water cash and passed it to me. It looked like it was about a hundred thousand dollars or more. It will be double that amount if you... if you do what I ask. He rasped. At first, I was thinking this was more money than I've ever seen in my career. Then that feeling of dread welled up inside me again. Sir, what exactly are you asking me to do? I didn't even finish the sentence, because I wasn't sure I wanted the answer. My stomach started to twist a bit as I recalled the stench from earlier. 
You must take the body tonight, no questions asked. Take it, destroy it, and don't look at it. Uh, those are odd requests. I said as I looked at the money and tried to count it up. It was all large bills and looked to be about $100,000 or more. You must promise me, Mr. Levis. He snapped as he pushed his bony face close to mine. His breath smelled putrid. I, uh, um, I promise. I said, trying to compose myself. Nothing about this was making sense. Wasn't that what I was supposed to do anyway? Why did he want the body disposed of tonight? Something was horribly wrong. I was trying my best to think of a way to leave. To call Stacy and just let the county coroner handle this. Damn my job, I just wanted out of here. Thomas coughed again and then reached for something else. A small silver whistle. Pushing it against his blistered lips, it blew a sharp noise, and I heard another click from behind me. I thought I heard scratching on the other side of the wall, the hair on the back of my head standing up. What's happening here? I, uh, I need to get a few things from my car, I said as I stepped back toward the ramp. Thomas said nothing, instead just sitting there like he was anticipating the arrival of someone or something. Cautiously, I moved toward the main entrance, the shadowy rooms becoming more unpleasant as I passed them by. The scratching against the walls became more persistent as well. I was just about to open the door to literally bolt my car when I heard the floor creak behind me. I jumped out of my skin again when the cat skirted across the floor, and then another figure emerged from the shadows, this one a girl who looked no older than maybe eleven. She had black hair, and she was wearing what looked like a hospital gown, with bare feet and a few bruises on her legs. Her eyes were as green as the grass outside. She picked up her pet and stared at me innocently. Are you here for... for... She fumbled with the words, unable to finish the sentence. My mouth became dry again, a heavy knot forming in my throat, as so I let go of the doorknob. Yes, yes, that's right. She petted the cat for a little while, then let it go, shuffling her feet as it rushed back to the shadows. I don't want them to go. Please don't take them, she told me. Her eyes glistened with fresh tears. I got down on my knees and did my best to comfort her. Sweetie, I'm... I'm sorry, I know this is hard, I said as I touched her cheek. She reacted with anger, pushing me away and running toward the shadows. You can't take them. I won't let you. She screamed as she picked up something from a small coffee table and chucked it at me. I flinched and held up my hands to avoid the hurtling object, only to find a palm in front of my face grasping the small glass fruit she had tossed. Thomas gave the girl a stern look, pushing his wheelchair toward the table, then placing the antique back where it belonged. Rosa, you know what must happen here, Eldon said sternly. She looked down at the ground and sniffled softly. I won't want them to go. And yet they must. It's for the best. Thomas insisted sternly. It was clear he wasn't breathing well so far from his oxygen. 
and I wondered if the old man might collapse here in the foyer just for giving a lecture to his child. The girl said nothing, still looking at the floor. I took a step toward her, the shadowy room enveloping me, as I offered her a soft hug. I promise I'll make sure they're taken care of. I'll make sure you get to say goodbye, okay? I told her. She nodded and hugged me back, even giving me a soft smile. You can help us. She whispered back to me as she passed something into my open palm. I got the impression it was meant to be a secret, so as I stood up, I covertly slipped it into my pocket to look at it later, when Thomas wasn't hovering over me. She ran off into the shadows past Elden, who gave me a bizarre look, like he was trying to comprehend why I had shown kindness to her. You have a way with children, Mr. Levice, the old man observed. No one should have to experience death so young, especially not when it's so much at one time, I told him. I felt so sorry for the little girl as she disappeared into the house, trying to imagine what her life here must be like. Is she the only one left? I asked him. The old man didn't bother answering. Instead, he rolled over to the door he mentioned earlier and took out a set of keys to unlock it, revealing a long, thin set of stairs that led to darkness below. The bodies down there? I asked, staring into the abyss. It reeked of despair and sadness and loneliness. I thought about leaving again. Then I remembered the girl. By now I knew something about this house was wrong. A new goal had started to ferment in my mind. Get this job done, then find a way to get that poor girl away from here. Child Protective Services would surely feel her life here was no better than a prisoner once they saw how she was treated. With that new goal in mind, I took a step toward the basement. I was four steps down when I realized Thomas was watching me from the top step. Is there any light down here? I asked him. He muffled something under his breath and then returned a moment later with an old oil lantern. There's nothing except that medical suite run by electricity here? I took the lantern and turned toward the stairs again. They seemed to stretch forever downward. Mr. Levice! Elton barked as I reached the middle of the stairs. His silhouette was eclipsed by the dim light, his misshapen body, looking like a hell beast. Remember our promise, he whispered. Then he closed the door, leaving me in the dank room alone. I'm an idiot. That's what I was thinking at that moment. This is how horror movies play out. And there I was, putting one foot in front of the other, because I honestly didn't feel I had any other choice. I covered my mouth to try and hold back the smell as I walked into the bottom, the vast basement opening up before me once I reached the last step. The place was old, probably older than the rest of the house. Built on stone and brick, some parts of it looked like it was about to cave in. It was junk everywhere. Items and memorabilia and family heirlooms were shoved away from the rest of the house. All of it looked like it was covered in some kind of rot or internal fluids, the sort of which you might see from entrails that spill out when infected. And in the back of the room sat small stone coffins, no larger than the girl I'd met upstairs. 
That knot in my stomach twisted end over end. I kept the lantern at the level of my eyes, my heart pounding, as I stepped over the mass toward them. As I got closer, I saw something near the wall. Chains and broken pieces of glass. Stains against the brick, which probably were dried blood. Everywhere I looked, there were signs of torture. I reached into my pocket and took up my cell phone, immediately trying to call 911. No reception. Of course not. I reached one of the coffins, my hand shaking as I pushed off the cover to peer inside. I don't know exactly what I was expecting to see. Certainly not an eight-year-old boy with arms crossed like he was asleep and dressed like he was going to boarding school. It was his eyes that made me want to scream. It was black as the room around me. Motionless and full of blood and tears, his still eyes stared up into my soul. I averted my gaze, expecting his lifeless body to leap and attack me at a moment's notice. The basement made a low moaning noise to heighten my anxiety, and I held the lantern closer to the boy to try and determine the cause of death. No lacerations, no injuries of any kind, no signs of swelling that I could determine. His skin looked fresh, his hair combed perfectly. The only thing I could not quite pinpoint was the smell. It was still there, surrounding me on all sides, like a ghost that lingers near the departed. It was crushing me like an anvil. What had happened to him? I took out my phone again, desperate for a signal. This house needed to be raided, the entire thing stripped from top to bottom. I was sure that there was no way this boy had died of natural causes, and I was willing to bet my life that the girl upstairs was also in danger. Since it was clear I wasn't going to be able to make a phone call, I did the next best thing. I placed the lantern against the edge of the coffin and angled my phone to get a good snapshot. Evidence of this macabre affair, I told myself, as the flash went off. The light revealed I was not alone. A shadow, tall and feminine, stood at the edge of the coffin just out of my line of sight. The moment the flash happened, I stumbled backward and recognizing her as a little girl from upstairs. I dropped my phone and found myself grasping the wall, her bland expression and cold demeanor making me feel uneasy. How? How'd you get down here, I asked. She held a finger to her lips and gently pointed toward the wall behind her. It looked like a dumbwaiter and she'd used it to travel from above. I got back on my feet, my heart racing as I approached the coffins. You, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't see them like this, I said. She didn't appear to be concerned about the strange way her siblings had died. Instead, she got near the coffin, staring at them. It didn't seem like she understood the gravity of the situation. You said I could say goodbye, she whispered. She extended her hand toward me as if expecting me to give her something. Then I remembered she'd placed something in my pocket. I reached in, a bit startled, to find it was, in fact, a small jar that held a deadly black widow inside. Instinctively, I dropped it, and the jar rolled to her feet. She bent over, picking it up affectionately, and then unlatching the jar. I watched with morbid fascination as she took it out with her open palm and then invited the spider to crawl into her mouth. I was too mortified to stop her. 
She then turned her head over to the boy and placed her lips against the deceased boy's mouth. I watched silently with concern and worry as I saw the spider crawl from her mouth into the corpse, wriggling its way inside. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I looked up the stairs, the empty door beckoning me to run. Then I saw something that made me pause. It was right there amid the rest of the trash that had piled up in the basement. A family portrait covered in that grime and mucus, but what it revealed made my blood run cold. It looked like it was taken almost 30 years ago, perhaps even 40, given the way the family dressed. Thomas was standing front and center, surrounded by eight boys, and smiling like a proud father should. Except those children looked identical to the one I just saw in the coffin. I was certain of it. All the same. They hadn't aged a day. The knot in my stomach returned as I looked at the child again, Anxiety building, blood running cold, and her face flushed with fear. You said you would help. The girl snarled, her eyes flickering toward the lantern I held. Why won't you help us? I stumbled toward the steps, my feet moving faster than I could think. Thomas was at the top, still waiting impassively, as I pushed past him to the door. I ran to my hearse, jumping and cranking the engine as fast as I could. Scrambling to find my phone, I soon realized I'd left it in the basement below. Screw that, I shouted, as I pressed into reverse and floored it to get away from that house. I didn't look back and didn't stop driving until I reached Stacy's apartment. I banged on her door for about three minutes, loud enough for the whole neighborhood to hear, 
When she answered, the first thing I demanded was to use her phone, and I called the police. Damn it. Why don't they answer? I mumbled as I tried again. Stacy wrapped a robe around herself as she shut the door. Maybe it's because it's almost four in the morning? Jesus, Marcus, what the hell happened to you? I was visibly shaking. I had a breakdown in her living room, trying to comprehend everything I had just seen and heard. Stacy had me settle on the couch and brought me warm tea and blankets, insisting I relax and tell her what happened. I tried my best, but it just brought looks of disbelief and confusion. Marcus, you aren't making sense. You're talking in circles. Stacy, I know what I saw in that house. That old man, damn him. I don't know what he's doing to that girl, but I know it's messed up, I shouted. Calm down, don't raise your voice. I didn't say I don't believe you. It was a nightmare, the worst thing I've ever seen. It kept repeating. Somehow she managed to get me to rest. First thing in the morning, I called the police, demanding they do a wellness check on Mr. Eldon. There's a dead child in there, and God knows what else, I told him. Stacy managed to get me to try and resume having a normal day, being a bit more affectionate than usual. Maybe it was my broken spirit that made her feel attached. Several hours later, the police came by with puzzled expressions and questions. You claim you were inside Thomas Elton's house from the hours of 3.30 to 4.30? Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's right. Did you find the body? He was in the basement. The police shared a look of unease toward each other. Sir, there was nothing in the basement or anywhere else in the house except for one corpse that of Mr. Eldon himself. What? My voice cracked. We didn't come by earlier because we wanted our coroner to confirm that the death was natural causes. We'll likely be taking it to your funeral home by midday. Check again. This time they had a look of amusement on their faces. I think we would have seen something like what you've described. Have a good day. The second man said, tipping his hat and exiting the apartment. Stacy pressed against me, telling me maybe to forget the whole thing, but I couldn't. I told her I had to go file some paperwork and we could catch up after lunch. Instead, my drive took me back to the Elden estate. The gate was still open, and the house looked just as abandoned as the night before. I parked outside and tried the door, a bit startled that it wasn't locked. Rosa, I called out. No one replied. I took a few steps inside and looked at all the stuff. Everything was exactly as I'd seen it the night before. The door to the basement was still open, but instead, I went to the den calling out Thomas or anyone that might be there. As I passed the hallway, I saw some of the doors were now open, unlatched by the police, no doubt. All of them looked like they were decorated for the children that had died over time, with games and gifts and toys of every sort. I stepped into the medical suite to see the body of Thomas for myself. The coroner hadn't taken it away yet. My heart skipped a beat as I pulled back the sheet, seeing a familiar young face, the body from the basement. I stumbled away from the body, confused by the revelation. If he was the deceased, where the hell was Thomas and the girl? I heard something from behind me, 
and stifled back a scream when the county coroner came into the room. Police! Are you, uh, supposed to be here? she asked. I steadied my hands and looked for the coffin I'd seen earlier. It was gone. I found myself trying to comprehend what had happened. The coroner saw my panic, trying to get me to answer her question. I did my best. Police said the body was heading to my funeral home. Figured I'd save you the trouble. She huffed as she pulled a gurney into the room. Then you should have called me. I stepped aside and watched silently as she placed the young body on the stretcher. Police said your report identified the deceased as Mr. Eldon. I said that she covered up the body. That's right. Why? How'd you identify him? Blood tests. Obviously. I swear, LaVise, you act like I graduated yesterday. I said nothing as she pushed the body toward the stairs and paused, looking toward the children's rooms. Where's the family, she asked. I admitted I didn't know since that was the truth. I guess it's better this way. Kind of weird, though. I would have expected him to be a lot older than this, she said as she carefully guided the gurney down the stairs. When we got to the front door, she asked me a question, but I was staring down at the basement. I was sure I heard breathing. Marcus, she snapped. What? Sorry, distracted. I said, did you notify the next to Ken? I told her I would, and we left together. My mind filled with unease as I followed her car to the funeral home. Is there going to be a full autopsy? I asked the coroner as it wheeled the body into my embalming room. I don't see why there would be a need. It was natural causes, she said, passing me paperwork to sign. A few seconds later, I was alone with the corpse. I stood there, staring at the young body for the longest time, trying to decide what to do. I focused on the scar that ran along the side near his abdomen. Then I saw the faintest of movements underneath the skin. It made my own skin crawl. Thomas's words echoed in my head. Take the body tonight, destroy it. Do not look at it. Why had he made such requests? What secrets did this corpse hold? I turned on my crematory furnace, steadying myself as I decided to simply end this whole thing and forget it never happened. Maybe once this body's gone, I can wake from this nightmare. The heat from the furnace was enough to make me sweat. Flames licked the body, and I watched as it began to burn. Its skin turned black, and its eyes began to melt away. The flesh smelling rotten and putrid, reminding me of the young girl. As the body faded away, I saw something move from the chest cavity its silhouette revealing an arachnid form as it crawled through the furnace. It was screaming the way a little infant might, angry and confused and hungry. It looked like it had the face of the girl. I was certain I heard a voice rattling in my head. You were supposed to help us. Then the spidery monster disappeared from sight, slinking into the shadows from where it had come. I sat there, stone-faced and trembling for what felt like hours. Stacy actually came by for lunch and found me apparently wandering the funeral home like I was in a daze. I didn't want to admit what I'd seen. I couldn't comprehend any of it. The next day I was told the next of kin was going to arrive to retrieve the ashes. 
I didn't know what to expect given the nightmares I'd witnessed thus far. I stepped into the funeral home with a jar and saw a young man standing there. He looked to be about the same height as Mr. Eldon, but with a much healthier body. I offered the jar to him, trying to remain calm as we met eye to eye. I could swear one of his eyes was fake, just like the old man. My condolences, I said. He smiled. That awful breath still smelled the same. Death is part of life, my boy. What ends one thing begins something new. He passed me a stack of hundred-dollar bills. For your services, Mr. Levice. I watched him leave and stood near the steps as he got into a long car and drove toward the edge of town. I didn't stop holding my breath until I saw the car disappear behind the iron gate and then watched it close. One final thing stuck in my head. The license plates. Memento Mori. Remember, you will die. I hope you enjoyed House Call by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash kyle-harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash k-y-l-e-h-a-r-r-i-s-o-n. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. And more than that, a thank you to all of tonight's featured authors. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, 
and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. 
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.